What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the City Image Podcast. Blessed to be with you all again. You guys already know the voice of to whom you are listening. It is Bryant, the theological giant, but I'm not by myself. This is Andy Young Nassau County. Good to be with you guys. Good, good to be with you, Brian. We are we're back, bro. We are we, we are, are back. We are firing on all we are cylinders. Fire that never went out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like the Shaq and Penny. You know what I'm saying? Was dom- dominating uh, your Shaq on Penny. <laughs> yeah, dude. Clearly, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, bro, we making it through 2020. One day at a time. It's about halfway through the year, um, but we still here. Okay, um, bless the Lord for all the people. You know what I'm saying? Still persevering because it's been crazy. Make some but noise. Have a, make some noise if yo, you make the first time for make, <laughs> make some noise. <laughs> but we got a fantastic episode lined up for y'all, man. We were able to interview David Swanson. And for those who don't know, David Swanson is from Chicago. So we have to give him the Chicago treatment. David Swanson is the pastor of New Community Covenant Church, a multicultural congregation in Chicago's Bronzeville neighborhood. He helps lead New Community Outreach, a nonprofit that collaborates with the community to reduce sources of trauma and speaks around the country on the topics of racial justice and reconciliation. He has written articles for Christianity Today the Inglewood Review of Books, and The Covenant Companion. He lives in Chicago with his wife and two sons. Mm. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. man, dude. Next, if he ever comes on again, we got to put like, uh, we got to put a Chief Keith beat over. Uh, I'm excited for this interview. You know, David wrote a book called Rediscipling the White Church from Cheap Diversity to True Solidarity. This is a book that is very relevant to the conversations that all of us are having right now. And, um, you know, he, we're going to get into it in the interview, but, you know, he actually does a great analysis of how white supremacy in American culture has impacted the church. But his book comes at it from the angle of discipleship and how discipleship, how we've been discipled by the culture and also how discipleship through Jesus is a resource to repentance. It's a resource to anti-racism. Brian, what are you, uh, what are you hoping to, that people are going to get out of this interview? Yeah, I think two things. One, for, for minorities who are, like myself, who are just exhausted with some of the typical conversations we've had with white evangelicals, um, that are hurtful and traumatizing, to be honest. It is re- refreshing to speak to um, white evangelicals who are allies, to hear them, to hear their voice. My hope is that, you know, we can be renewed knowing that we have white, white allies that will stand in the gap and will speak and will hold their brothers and sisters accountable for pursuing racial solidarity. 
That's one. Two, um, in the interview, what you ended up asking him towards the end of the interview was just the power of the gospel and how that is a a uh, sufficient resource and that our faith would be renewed in the power of the gospel to re-disciple uh, the white church and, you know, pursue racial solidarity. So because I do think that sometimes we can doubt whether or not the gospel is sufficient mm. in pursuing racial solidarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bro. So how about you, man? What are you hopeful for? David, you know, he's a pastor. He's got a pastor's heart. He's also got, he also has some really great social analysis that um, he drops in this, in the book and also in this episode. And I think, you know, I've been having a lot of conversations over the last month with folks that are in primarily white churches and primarily white spaces. And I think there's a lot of people that are earnestly trying to understand this conversation that's happening right now. And there's so many different, there's so many different angles. There's so many different voices and they're looking for clarity. And I think David speaks with clarity, uh, especially because of the precision of, of his focus in the book. My hope and my encouragement is that for someone who's hearing the first couple of minutes and they hear the title of that book, Rediscipling the White Church, like to, to hear that you, you need to be rediscipled could be taken as, as an assault on your faith. The way that I would frame it, because I do hope that there's a lot of folks from primarily white backgrounds that get a hold of this episode and hear what David has to say, is that, look, we understand that there are things that in any culture that the gospel is opposed to, that the, that scripture challenges. The angle that David is coming in with is that there are aspects of our culture that have muted or have been countered to very important things that Jesus would have us live out in our faith. And, and, and so, you know, I hope that you would just see this as an opportunity to be more aware of blind spots, be more empathetic to the conversations that are happening, um, and just learn. I believe that if we really wrap our heads around the stuff that he's talking about, you know, there's a lot of potential in terms of church health and in terms of, of our health as disciples, our health as people that are trying to live out and witness to the gospel, you know, in our, in our time and place. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm, ho- I'm hoping that this really, uh, this really reaches people and that, that they can, can find themselves in the middle of the conversation. No, that's good, bro. No, I feel that 100%. Well, Ladies and gents, keep it locked. You are now listening to episode 42 of the City Image Podcast. All right, we are back. David Swanson, welcome to City Image. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. Appreciate it. So this is not the first episode that we have done on the topic of white evangelicalism. Whenever we do an episode surrounding this issue tends to get the most listens and and people really uh, seem to be at least attracted to the topic. Um, I'd also say that it's it's a topic that is polarizing. Mm -hmm. 
I think you'll get a diff- 10 different responses from 10 different people if you bring up the issue. And so what were the main issues that you were trying to address when you decided to write this book? It is a hot topic, isn't it? People have opinions about, uh, about white evangelicalism uh, right now, and, and rightly so. Um, you know, for me, I serve a multiracial congregation on the south side of Chicago, which is, uh, you know, a predominantly African-American side of the city. And so to be honest, I have not, I have not thought a whole lot about white evangelicalism in about a decade. Mm -hmm. And then, um, about two or three years ago, uh, three or four years ago, as the political rhetoric was really starting to heat up, I noticed that there's just two very, very different experiences in terms of how people in, in our church and neighborhood were experiencing uh, that, that political rhetoric and the way I was seeing uh, white evangelicals in particular, uh, but white Christians in general, uh, feeling very, very differently about that. And as time went on and um, the white evangelicals, white Christians were you know, more and more enthusiastic about you know, uh, rhetoric and, and um, you know, policies that were you know, doing real damage to, you know, people in our congregation and people we cared about, um, people of color in particular, I started to think about this question of discipleship and just wondering, you know, what, what is the kind of discipleship that is uh, at place in most white churches? And, and, and how is it that this discipleship is leaving white Christians content in their racial isolation and racial segregation? It seemed to me that um, discipleship in most white churches was forming people who had more in common with white non-Christians than with Christians of color. And that, that's what I wanted to try to get my head around a little bit, try to understand uh, that, that, that discipleship. Um, And that eventually then led to the the first third of the book where I try to analyze that, that problem and and describe it. And the last two thirds is, I don't want to say it's my solution, but it's, it's a way forward. You know, what would it look like to actually you know, disciple white Christians into deeper solidarity with the entire body of Christ. Um, so why, why do you f- feel like this has happened? Like what has led to the, the, this, this, this issue? Like, so, mm-hmm. you know, one thing that I think about is, um, you know, throughout the history of the church in the American context, you've had, you know, some of the, best, brightest theologians, minds, uh, individuals who are in seminaries, who study the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, who who simply missed a mark on this issue horrifically, right? Yep. I mean, yep. Southern, the Southern Baptist Confession, um, um, Convention just apologized for basically all their flagship seminaries basically teaching that the scriptures endorse slavery. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, you know, Jonathan Edwards, one of the most brilliant, probably arguably the most brilliant American theologian in the history uh, of the American church owned slaves. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what, why, why do you feel like there, there is this blind spot in white evangelicalism? What kind of caused it? Why is it here? Um, I think you kind of alluded to the fact that it was, they kind of, you know, there was this separatist kind of thinking, but why, why do you feel like it's even here yeah. in the first place? Like, it's such that's a, so it's, much it's, knowledge. Yeah, right. Exactly. There is so much knowledge. And like you said, it's, it's not, it's not, a, 
I don't think it's because of a, a lack of knowledge. So it's a it's a difficult question because it's a it's a really old reality. Um, the the construction of of race as a you know as a as an invention as something that didn't exist previously is completely intertwined with a, a kind of warped theology that detaches Jesus from his you know Jewish particularities that that lessens uh, the significance of God's election of Israel to to bless the world through through God's Messiah. Um, you know, Willie Jennings has written a lot about this. Others like Brian Bantam as well are, are really good on this. Um, and, and so the, the invention of race has theological origins to it, has, has kind of Christian heretical uh, DNA shot through it, which means that when we're talking about white Christianity and why it is exclusionary um, toward, toward people of color, why it's content in its segregation and complicity with racial injustice, we're talking about it's sort of founding ethos uh, to, to a certain extent. And so there's many, many white Christians who, though, though we've never reflected on it, we just assume that there is some connection between whiteness and Christianity. And that, that's by design. That, that, there's a history to that. Um, and it's, it's, we just take it for granted. It, it just kind of is what it is. And so when we think about, when, when, when white Christians think about the segregated nature of the church today, we're not thinking in those terms. We're thinking uh, in terms of cultural preference or personal preference. You know, we'll say, well, you know, you like this style of worship music or your theology is a little bit like this. And that's, we kind of sort ourselves out in that way. When in fact, uh, the reasons are much deeper and, and more devious than that. Um, there's a, a, a racial hierarchy in this country that the church has been, the white church has been complicit with. And, um, and so to get at, to really genuinely get at why, uh, why white Christians are, are so segregated, why it is that, that we have been really complicit uh, with, with racial injustice. You've got to dig into some of that history, I think. Hmm. So uh, I guess a question that just kind of came to my mind, would you say then that the white church has ever been truly discipled, like truly in the best form of the word disciple, because you're saying the your book says rediscipling the white church. I guess are you saying they were they were they had a false form of discipleship? It was never complete, or I because think that's right. the, you think that's right? That's how you would you phrase yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think as as long as as people have thought of themselves as white, uh, this is how James Baldwin talks, right? People who think they are white. As long as that's been a, 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 a way that people have understood themselves and have, have navigated through the world, the, the, the church has been intertwined with that and complicit with that. And, and, and so rather than discipling people into seeing our place within uh, the entire body of Christ, rather than discipling us into these deep um, uh, relations of mutuality with sisters and brothers uh, who, who do not share our, our race— uh, we're, we've been discipled into something very, very different. So yeah, I don't think there was this pristine moment where white churches got it right. I think whiteness itself, you know, as it became a, a reality that that uh, that people organized their their lives around. Um, as, as soon as the as soon as the church didn't reject that, as soon as the church didn't say no to that, um, you know, we were we were immediately complicit with that. So yeah, we got to go back a long way to try to imagine something different. Um, because it is, yeah, it's a, it's a deep reality. Mm -hmm. You know, you're talking about 
hundreds of years of history and sociology that are, are kind of essential to understand even whiteness as a construct yeah. and then understand the intersection of the church, religion, and, and so forth uh, to that concept. And there's a lot of white churches that, you know, as Brian put it, would just say, well, we're not a white church. We're just a church, you yeah. know? Um, one of the questions, as you know, because your your title, the title of the book says a lot. <laughs> like, the, the, I, 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 the, I think it's a great title because it, it, it's just, it raises questions. Yeah. Um, I've heard, you know, obviously when I've been, been in discussions because, you know, I've done ministry in white spaces. I've, mm-hmm. you know, have interacted with white evangelicals quite mm-hmm. frequently. Um, and so I, I often hear this idea that, Okay, well, there's only two races, the ones in Adam and the ones in Jesus. And like, you know, and they start quoting Paul. Look, there is no Jew, Gentile, you know, slave, free. They start hitting you with all these verses that say, look, this idea of white church, black church, you know, if there is a quote unquote black church, it shouldn't exist. Right. And there is no such thing as the white church. Um, And we reject that. Uh, and that that's that's so for you to even say that we need to redisciple yeah. the white church, yeah. that in and of itself kind of just doesn't compute right to some yeah. people because it's like we we don't even have language for the fact that there is a white church. We don't right. even believe that that exists. Right. So I don't know how you would respond. To that. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's real. What you just did, that dynamic is so so true, and and it drives me nuts because it's completely ahistorical. Uh, you know, I've got a friend in the neighborhood here who pastors a, a, a pretty uh, old African-American congregation, a, a church that's been around for a while. Um, I guess I know him, Charlie Dates, uh, Progressive Baptist Church. Anyways. Yeah, I've heard, I've listened to him and her. Yeah, yeah, phenomenal preacher, gifted leader. But he's, he'll say, listen, there would be no black church if y'all had accepted us in the first place. Mm. And, and that's a historical, I mean, you, you can read history books and, and, and see that, right? Like, there, there was a moment in time where, where black Christians were attempting to, to worship with white Christians and were being forced to you know, either sit up in the balcony or not come in the, in the, in the sanctuary at all. Um, so, so there is a history of white Christians saying, yes, there absolutely is such a thing as a white church. Uh, mm. and, and, and in order to be you know, who, who we're supposed to be, it has to be maintained as a white church. So you know, that notion of there should be no this or this it's very, very ahistorical. It's, uh, it's a thin reading of how race actually functions. It's also a very, um, it's, a, it's an incorrect reading of what actually happens in white churches today. There, there are going to be very few white churches today who would say, we are a white church. Now, you can observe them and say, well, demographically, you are mostly white or culturally, you are, you are very much white. But, but there's no sign on the door saying, you know, white people only in this congregation. And yet the way that it functions, functions to reinforce white norms and white values so that anybody who, you know, attends this church has to either, you know, leave uh, you know, or conform to those, those white norms and values. There's been good sociological work done on this by a, a guy named uh, Dr. Glenn Bracey. And I, I, I referenced that, that work in the, in the book here. So there, there's all kinds of ways that white normativity gets reinforced in white churches. It's mm. one of the, the, the deceits, I think, of whiteness, which then allows white people to say, no, 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 we didn't do this on purpose. Um, mm-hmm. And this is why I'm a Christian, right? So I think about this, this stuff you know, through the lens of scripture, 
you know, I believe this is a spiritual reality we're talking about here. The more that, that, that the enemy can confuse this, the more that the enemy can obscure this. So we say, well, this is just how it is. The harder it is for us to actually make any kind of a difference, to move forward with a posture of confession and, and, and repentance, which I think is what is, what is required. So I always go back to, we, we got to tell the, the plain truth as, as best we can about all of this stuff if we're going to have any hope of actually moving in a different direction. Hmm. So would you say then, just to be clear, that there is, is there anything wrong essentially with there being a white church or there being a black church or a church that represents any other ethnicity? You know, should we reject that outright or is it okay for those distinctions to exist, but you know, we kind of have to guard against our own prejudices, et cetera, and, you know, the way that we view each other. It's a really, uh, uh, for me at least, it's a very loaded question. It's a very important question, though. Um, I, I'll start with, with uh, you know, the African-American church. And, you know, of course, we know there's no such thing as a monolithic black church, right? There's nuance within all of these congregations. Mm-hmm. But sure. the, black, the black church exists today as a... Um, you know, as a a response to the, the the racist exclusion of the white church. Again, historically, that's 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 why the black the black church exists in this country to proclaim the gospel with clarity to to, to disciple women and men uh, uh, clearly in a in a context that has demeaned, diminished, dehumanized them. And so, I, I'm a huge proponent in in the black church. I, I absolutely think that we need the the, the black church. Uh, historically and to this very day, I, I I think that oftentimes when we need when we look for examples of how the gospel has been you know proclaimed most clearly and lived with the most integrity, we, we're going to be looking to examples within the African American tradition. Um, similar for other you know cultures, I, I think there's there's good reasons to have you know um, you know uh, uh, monocultural uh, churches where language is an issue where. Uh, where those churches are also clear that we need to be discipling our people uh, away from the the, the deceptions um, around around whiteness, um, it, it gets more complicated when we get to the white church because of the reasons that we've already talked about. And so to say, should is it okay for there to be white churches? I, I think the answer is a sort of ambivalent yes. Uh, because of the the reality in which we find ourselves, the segregated nature of our society means that there's plenty mm-hmm. of places where there's just mostly white people, and we can get right. into what some of those reasons are. But what I want to say is that those those white churches, if they are going to be discipled in a new direction, are going to come to understand that what they had previously perceived to be neutral is, is not neutral. That the, the, the kind of segregated nature of their congregations has a particular uh, malicious edge to it that needs to be investigated, that needs to be repented of. That's why I use the language of solidarity in the book. I pastor a multiracial church. I'm not advocating that every white church become multiracial. You can be multiracial church and still be predominantly you know, white mm. in your culture. So I want to I wanna envision how, how would a, a white church stand in solidarity with, have more in common with, you know, uh, join in the, 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 the struggle um, with, with congregations of color, I, that's where my hope would be for a mostly white church. Um, mm-hmm. Can are you genuinely in solidarity with the rest of the body of Christ? 
Mm, so that was a, that was a long answer, Brian, to your team question. We, we can spend the good. rest of the time just on, just I on mean, that. I, right yeah, honestly, they, I, I got some follow-up thoughts, but I mean, I don't want to like, yo, Andy, I'm going to let you jump in, bro. I, I'm not, <laughs> you get ahead, Fred. You got something you want you want to ask. Yeah, well, um, there's this guy, Richard Bowles. Uh, I think he's a, a professor in Oklahoma State. But he wrote this book, Dividing, Dividing the Faith, not divided by faith. But actually, when he went through the church roles, from like the 1600s to now to like the 19 to like the 1900s he found that the more freedom that blacks got in society the more segregated the church was when there were divisions in class and race and uh you know black people were slaves white churches had less of a problem having them in their congregations and then once they got freedom and wanted positions of leadership and so forth that's those are kind of when you see these like uh, bursts of segregated churches. And so it's just such a grim thing you're talking yeah. about, David. Yeah. Um, well, grim. I, That's the I, right word. That's the right yeah, word. I, I have, I guess I have a follow up question, you know, as well to that. So you're, you're giving um, discipleship as both a problem and a solution. So you're saying, you know, the, the problem is that, white Christians are discipled more by racial categories and by faith. And the solution is discipleship after Jesus. And, and so how would you recommend a Christian evaluate whether or not they have been discipled more by cultural sensibilities than by Jesus? Cause it feels like a somewhat nebulous thing to identify on oneself. And so what are some good litmus tests that, pastors can do to kind of evaluate their church what are some good litmus tests for um for individual christians how would you suggest they actually uh evaluate this in themselves or their their congregation yeah that's a good question um i i would i would start by just you know observing how how racially ethnically segregated your life is or not um you know I tell a story in the book of, of attending transracial adoption classes when my wife and I were in the, in the process of adoption and they, they had uh, all of the, the adoptive couples answer a whole list of questions. And there was a uh, kind of like these different beads on the table and each, each color bead represented a different race or ethnicity. And so they would say something like, you know, uh, your, your primary care physician, and you would choose the bead that kind of represented the race or ethnicity of your primary care physician, the music that you listen to, the majority of neighbors on your block, et cetera, about 30 lists. And uh, you fill up this clear jar and then they say, now choose the, the bead that represents the race or ethnicity of the child that, that you hope to adopt. Mm-hmm. And of course, what most of these cups look like are very, you know, cups filled with white beads, right? With them with, you know, one, you know, brown, black, mm. uh, you know, bead in, in there. Wow. That's, that is the reality for most white people. I mean, studies have shown time and time again that white people are, are more, you know, racially isolated than, than any other, you know, group of people in this country, uh, which is a, a luxury of the, of the racial minority. Um, and it's no different for, for Christians. And so I, I think that that's where I would start. I would reflect. I would say, you know, what do my friendships look like? Who are the authors that I read? Who are the pastors that I listen to? Are, are there any you know, Christians of color who have spiritual authority in my life, who can actually speak with authority in my life? Um, and, and the answer for most of us to those questions is, is, is no. 
And, and that's a big red flag for me. Um, and again, most white Christians have said, have assumed that, well, that's just okay because where I live is just mostly white. So this is just naturally how it is. And, and what I try to show in the book is no, that's not natural. That's, that's intentional. Um, that, that's a, 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 a malforming discipleship that is at work in our lives. And so, um, and what that leads to then is what I said before that, you know, us having more in common with, with non-Christian white people than with Christians of color. So that I would start there, just evaluating the, the segregated nature, nature of our lives. Based on how you just answered that question, I want to formulate it in a different way, because I think that um, one of the things that as I look at how white supremacy has, you know, kind of blinded me, you, you know, um, I, I came into, you know, sort of quote unquote solid reform theology mm-hmm. through the teaching of white teachers, white evangelicals, you know, listening to John Piper preach on John chapter six and whoa, now I'm a Calvinist, you know, um, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, my black leaders failed me, you know, mm. T.D. Jakes failed me, you know, mm. all the black, black preachers that I, you know, was <laughs> going to church with on a Sunday failed me. And, and so there was this instinctual sort of uh, lessening of, quote unquote, the black church, but, 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 but people in spiritual authority yeah. from that sector. Right. And so, you know, I, 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 w- I almost want to imagine that white evangelicals have a problem listening to black leaders because there's this instinctual belief that none of them have good theology anyway. Not, you know, who am I going to listen to? Yep. I don't want to pick up James Cone liberation theology, right? right? right. So now what am I going to do? Um, and so how would you respond to this idea that you know, well, of course, I don't have any black spiritual leaders in my life because they all have bunk theology anyway. And, you know, all the great theologians of the faith have been European. And, you know, it's almost like when, you know, just to go back to what you said, when, you know, you talked about this idea that, you know, all the beads in the jar are white and then they want to adopt the one black bead. Well, they want to do so because they think that they're saving the one black bead. They think that they're taking the one black bead out of a crappy culture mm-hmm. and bringing bringing them into a white culture. That's correct. Right. And I mean, honestly, many black people have thought this way. I thought that way unknowingly until I had to kind of redisciple my own self out of that. Yeah, so yeah, how yeah. do you respond to people who say, look, I, I got no one that I can turn. To. I don't you know who, where. Right. So, yeah. I mean that <laughs> I I hate I hate that story, but it's such a common story, um, and it it is a deep uh, it's a deep. I, I I I met for coffee with a guy about nine eight or nine years ago, young white guy, also very reformed um, in in his theological uh, background, and he wanted to plant the church in the same area of the city where we are. So he was just reaching out to you know, to me to talk about that. And uh, I say, well, you know, as you're thinking about this, my recommendation would be that you start developing relationships, you know, with some of the black churches in the neighborhood that you're thinking about and, um, you know, start to ask for, for, for mentorship. And, and his response, I'll never, I'll never forget it because I was like, man, he, I, I, he, he's serious when he said this. He said, um, see, I don't think I can do that because I just love my theology so much. 
Mm. And I thought, well, that, that is really deep, you know, that your, the, your love of your theology is, is literally keeping you from developing relationships with Christians and pastors who've been holding down this neighborhood for generations, you know, who've been proclaiming the gospel and living it out for, for generations. And, so and that's not to stop you there, not to stop you there, that, that, that there's a belief that they haven't been holding down those blocks, that there's a belief right. that they haven't been preaching the gospel. Right. 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 You know, right. so it's almost like he wants to plant a church because he thinks he's coming to save the neighborhood. He, someone's got to bring the gospel here. Someone's got to bring him. Right. So. Yeah, yeah that's man. exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I was, uh, I mean, Twitter's obviously not everything, but, but I, I posted something yesterday about, um, you know, the necessity as white pastors are kind of waking up to racial injustice right now. And I feel like we're seeing a lot of that. You know, I, I, my suggestion is you, you need to put yourself under the influence uh, of, of, you know, pastors of color and particularly black pastors uh, is my own opinion about this. And somebody, you know, somebody uh, replied and said, again, I, I suggested some names too. And someone said, um, there are several names on Mr. Swanson's list that I consider suspect when it comes to upholding the centrality of Christ. Um, and, and all I was suggesting was like, you know, follow these people on Twitter. You know, I wasn't even saying like go to the church or anything, right? Um, but I think there is that. And so where does that come from, right? Where, where does this idea come from that I, as a white person, have this sort of a 10,000 foot level view where I can with authority, um, you know, judge and, and determine, um, you know, whether or not you should even follow somebody on Twitter, right? Like, or whether you should talk to a pastor in the neighborhood and you know, start to develop a relationship with them. That's, that is the, the malforming discipleship that we have been formed by, right? It has formed white people, not to consciously say I am superior, but to actually live out a kind of superiority that claims this all-knowing authority where, where whiteness becomes the, the background on which everything else is judged and measured and categorized. And man, hold that up to the scripture. And, and that is so dangerous. And it is so you know, opposed to, to the vision we see in the New Testament of, of people you know, worshiping across dividing lines of hostility that, um, yeah, it, 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 that's one of the things that keeps me awake at night. It, it absolutely kills me. And then, you know, personally, I've been discipled by, you know, the pastors and, and, and folks in our neighborhood for over a decade now. And so I, I feel like I, I see, if I agree with every theological nuance of every different pastor. No, of course not. Right. That's why we have different denominations. But do mm-hmm. I see them preaching the gospel? Do I see them discipling their people? Do I see them, you know, standing up, uh, you know, for, for the poor and the dispossessed? Uh, do I see them, you know, evangelizing? Like, yes, absolutely. And, um, I want to be influenced by them, by that, by that kind of faithfulness. Mm. You know, one of the things that I felt like you alluded to uh, several times throughout the book, which I found to be very interesting, was part of white evangelicalism being also rooted in kind of like this American consumeristic Christianity. Uh, you talked about in your chapter about uh, how white Americans lack rootedness and you talked about how you know that's reflected in like how if you go to 
some denominational churches all throughout the country, they look like a, like a McDonald's franchise. They all look the same, right? One of the big, big things over the last, I would say maybe 10, 20 years that has been a conversation is just like, you know, the consumeristic church versus the church that does discipleship, right? Um, can you maybe flesh out a little bit what the connection is between consumeristic Christianity and the segregation of our churches and white evangelicalism? Like where does consumeristic Christianity kind of play a role in, or, or hold us back from true diversity and hold us back mm-hmm. from true solidarity mm-hmm. um, in the gospel? I appreciate that question. I don't think anyone has, has, has asked me that yet. Um, yeah, I do think so. You know, the, the construction of race was in large part to use people as a means to an end was was to categorize certain people in order to see, see you know, r- race was never designed just to sort of create, uh, you know, labels for different kinds of people. It, it was it was always to create a hierarchy so that some people could be exploited, so that some people's land could be plundered for the for the benefit of somebody else. So using people as a, as a means to an end. Well, I think this is what consumerism does as well, right? Like we we um, we, we don't see each other as uh, you know individual image bearers of the living God. Um, you know, we we slice and dice in order to you know to categorize and. And to accomplish certain certain ends, this is, you know, this is this is how marketing works. This is how consumerism works. Um, and so the I, the image of God is, is diminished in some ways for you know for the bottom line. Um, you know, I, I think that I, I think you're right that over the past decade or so, maybe a little bit longer, white Christians have been aware of of the consumerism dynamic. You know, there's been some good reflection on that and how you know the uh, for example the um, uh, you know the, the the homogeneous unit principle that came out of uh, you know Fuller uh, I don't know, 30 40 years ago that led to some of the church growth stuff of you know can if, if you keep people mostly in groups of people that look like them you can grow a church faster uh, there's been I think some good self-reflection on that and to say you know is are there elements of that that are actually anti-gospel and how much of that are we willing to adopt how much of that cultural language are we willing to adopt? Um, and that's good. We should do that. I just haven't seen that same level of reflection in, in white Christian spaces when it comes to race. And I mean, if, if we've adopted a lot of consumerism, well, we've, we've adopted all of, of the assumptions related to race. And so we, we need that same level, I think, of, of, of reflection. Um, and I think you're right. As we start, as we start reflecting on the, our, the way that race has discipled us, we're also going to be more in tune to those connections with, you know, with consumerism because they're, they're absolutely there. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I found, I found your like integrating that into the book interesting because I think the cheap diversity that you're trying to push back against um, and actually I have this Jordan Rice tweet that I pulled up that, that went viral a few weeks ago and, uh, it, uh you've probably seen it. It was, uh, the white evangelical playbook one, say nothing about racism Two, wait for an international headline three, have a conversation four, get celebrated for said bold conversation five, do a token demonstration, hire a black person, six, wait for applause, seven, repeat as necessary. And, you know, that was so cutting, but it's also very similar to like what corporations do with diversity. Yes. Yes. Um, It's that's exactly what Pepsi does. It's exactly what Amazon does. You know, Amazon just announced this week that they're going to 
they're going to stop giving facial recognition technology to the police for one year. <laughs> just for one, like, you know, because <laughs> you know, we we'll, have, we'll have fixed racism in a year, so yeah, it'll be fine yeah, after yeah. that. So I, I just found that to be an interesting connection. I think for a while, the evangelical church has been kind of following the corporate model of diversity. Yeah. In a yeah. really weird uh unfortunate way so no that's absolutely right because i mean i you know i don't know when it happened but at some point multiculturalism became a way to sell stuff right it became an attractive social norm so that if you you know if you put that on your billboard or in your tv commercial you you can sell more stuff and uh and and so what what did what did we do you know we said okay great uh it's not it's not not okay to be completely white so let's let's make sure we got some people of color on our church website. Let's make sure we got you know one or two people of color who can lead worship on a Sunday morning, right? Let's let's do some some token efforts at reconciliation so that when you look around on a Sunday morning as a white person, you feel good about yourself because mm-hmm. you're, that's not just all white people here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a very thin level of diversity that serves the ends of those who hold the power. Right. It's it's a diversity for the sake of the bottom line in the corporation. It's a it's a diversity for the sake of, I would say, for white Christians who, who hold most of the capital, most of the power when it comes to the congregations. Why? Because nothing is actually changing at the root level for those who are suffering the most from a culture of, of racism and white supremacy. White people feel better about stuff, but the lived reality, the material reality for everybody else remains completely undisturbed. For me, the, 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 the question is then, uh, what does it look like to actually really deepen that? I mean, mm. I want to follow up. I mean, because people, they don't have any other model in their mind for what it even means to become more in solidarity with minority, minorities other than, well, you know, if we can help them advance in some right. way, like we'll right. give, we'll give them some, you know, it's almost like, well, you know, when you hear the argument that, well, you know, black people, you have all your rights now, like, what's the problem? You know, you're not slaves anymore. Like you've advanced and, you know, there are black people who are rich now. Like, right. you know, why is LeBron James saying black lives matter? He's a hunt. He's got hundreds of millions of right. dollars. And so it's this idea that, you've made it kind of like with that consumeristic mindset. It's almost totally. like, you know, if, if we have somehow like, like, like you said, if we, if we put you up to sing on Sunday mornings and we put a black person in an eldership position, they've advanced, you know? And so somehow that's seen as true solidarity. And I, I guess my follow-up question is how, what is true solidarity? How can the white church begin to rethink what that even looks like? Yeah. I mean, at a basic level for me, it's, it's, you know, weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. Um, the problem is white Christians don't know who's weeping and who's rejoicing. Um, we, we, mm. we're, we're so disconnected. Right. And so, I mean, we've seen this time and time again over the past, you know, 10 years when we have these instances of police brutality, right. That, that, that they're, they're everywhere. People know about them. You go to a white church on a Sunday morning and they don't say anything about it. Right. So that to me is the is evidence of the lack of solidarity. You're not weeping with those who weep. You're not putting yourself in the struggle with those who are suffering in this moment. You're just continuing on business as normal. So for me, that's what I would look for. I would look for a a congregation that that genuinely is moved 
to 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 uh, to respond to uh, emotionally and with actions the, the lived reality of their of their family in Christ. How we do that, I think, this is why I think we've got to start with discipleship because our discipleship has been so off has has left us in this place for so long that that we really got to dig into this. We really got to think long term about how we're discipling white people. The the, the tendency to try to just start adding some diversity, right, in order to pursue solidarity, it doesn't work because we've, we're, we've left that same old discipleship in place and just tried to add some people of color to the mix. So I, I'm looking for, if I'm saying what, what would make me hopeful, it's going to be a, a, a church. It can be anywhere in this country. You know, it could be, you know, I'm here in the Midwest. It could be some small town in the Midwest that's mostly white, but when when something like you know Ahmaud Arbery's murder happens, that that church understands the body of Christ is grieving right now. Sisters and brothers are broken right now. Sisters and brothers see themselves in in that video and and and, and bear that trauma in their bodies. And so how we how we worship on Sunday is going to feel different. How we pray is going to feel different. Um, I think that leads then to relationships outside of that church you know, with, you know, with other Christians of color who, who now you're in conversation. Now you're able to say, how can we stand with you right now? How can we support you? How can we pray for you? Um, what do you need from us in a moment like this? That's, that's what I, I think we've got to start to, to look for rather than just saying, well, you, you've got a little diversity in your church. So you're, so you're okay. Yeah. So just even thinking about that, you know, cause I'm trying to think of potential objections. Um, how would you respond to, you know, the individual that goes, I don't even trust the, and it's probably not going to be explicitly said this way, but practically it's expressed this way. I don't trust that black people are correctly interpreting their own experience Mm -hmm. and their own own grief. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, I found a few black people that agree with me. And they're actually spiritual leaders that actually agree with me and they actually agree with me in my theology and my understanding. And they actually have a better grasp on the majority of black people who are, they're grieving, but it's sort of like someone who, you know, their grief is unfounded. Like you're, you know, you're grieving, but you kind of deserve it. Like, yeah. One of one of those kinds of things. Right. Because I think so many people just intrinsically just write off the black experience as an oh, yeah. experience that is a faulty experience. Oh, yeah. I, I hate to throw names out there, but I was listening to John MacArthur preach a sermon on, uh, you know, and he Under titled the show. it. The show, John MacArthur. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm listening to everybody. Right. And I, and I was listening. You know, the title of his sermon was How to Respond to the Riots, not how to respond to the death of Armand mm-hmm. Arbery or how to respond to George Floyd's death. Mm-hmm. He, he, how to respond to the riots. That's, how he, that's what he titled his sermon. And he said straight up. And I was just I was blunt, I mean, the whole sermon was crazy. But, you know, at one point in the sermon, he's like, yeah, you know, they're marching and they have some grievances. You know, he, he just, you know, they have some grievances, but they're, they're, you know, all this talk about systemic racism, there is none. It's a lie. You know, that, you know, white supremacy, that, that, that it just doesn't exist. Yeah. And I just go, wow, what, imagine the hubris necessary yep. 
to go, hey, there are millions of people saying, hey, you know, look, this right. is this is a thing. This is a thing, a thing that we're experiencing. Come grieve with us. Come help us move through this and and yes. pursue justice. And you go, yeah. no, it just, just, just doesn't exist. Yeah. Why? why? Why is he able to say that? He's able to say that because he believes we don't even have a correct interpretation of our own yep. misery. Yep. Right? So how do you yep. even respond to that? I, I, the short answer is I don't know that you do. Um, I, I, that, mm. but what, what you just, what you described, I've experienced so many times, you know, it's, it's the, the, the assumption is that people of color and black people in particularly in particular are not trustworthy narrators of their own experience. And yeah. so that I, as a white person actually have a more accurate interpretation of your lived reality well there is nothing biblical about that there there is mm. nothing reflective of 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 christ in that at, at, at no, all but hold on hold on wait a minute i found a black guy that agrees with me though so i mean it's deep right you know or or, or a particular <laughs> political pundit right whose videos have gone viral you know like and now you got to spend all your time trying to debunk that thing so I, you know, I, I just don't know there's enough hours in the day, you know, I just don't know that there's enough. So here, here's my thing. You know, Jesus says, uh, when he sends out his disciples, he said, you're going to find the people of peace and you, and you stay there. So I think that I, I'm not trying to, to convince that, that person who believes he understands black people better than black people understand themselves. I believe that there is always a remnant. There's always people of peace who yeah, they, they may have been living a certain way with the Holy Spirit's at work in their lives and, and they're going to be open. It might still be a difficult conversation. They might still a- ask some hard questions. They might still, right? Like it can be hard, but there's at least an openness there. I want to I put whatever time I have in those conversations. Um, and for me, that's, that's an admission that I'm not God, right? That I'm, I'm not capable of changing anybody. So if, if I can spend time in conversation, in dialogue, with those whom are open, where it's clear the Holy Spirit is starting to move. I don't care how, like, how far back you are in this conversation. I don't care how little you know. If there's any openness whatsoever, like, I'll be there all day long. But that posture of defensiveness, that, that, post, that, that hubris that you're, that you're describing, unless Jesus makes it very clear, David, go spend some time with that person. Okay, I'm in. I'll do that, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm just not sure that's the best use of, of, of our time um, because there's, mm-hmm. there's other places, there's other people where God is at work and where there is some momentum. And, uh, and I'd much rather spend my time there. No, that's good, bro. I, I agree. <laughs> I'm glad, you know, hey, look, with two or three agree here, so shall yes, it sir. be. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> so, there's a lot of temptation in the middle of this discussion. One, to see so much failure within the church and believe that the resources within the gospel may be inadequate. Right, right. Or to just throw up your hands and say, well, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to just go do my own thing. You know, there's enough, there's enough anti-racist resources outside of the church for, for me to make do. Um, or, or really, I mean, you know, I, I can see people in this moment even walking away from from from, oh, yeah. from the church completely. There was there was a uh, you know 
uh, going back to your message that you gave at New Life, which was a great message. We'll put it in the show notes. You got people fired up. I don't know if you remember that, but you got people fired up in that in that message. But um, you know, you kind of you pointed to the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. as playing a huge role in anti-racism. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I really love that. And I found that to be the case. And so, you know, would you be able to give us a little bit of an insight into what role the Holy Spirit plays in anti-racism? No, man, I I so love that question so much because you're you're so right. Um, And this this is why this is so important, because white churches that are not discipling, particularly their children and their young people, leave them vulnerable at some point to waking up to the reality of racial injustice and racism and going, well, what else didn't my church tell me, right? Like, like what else did my church hide from me? And I've seen way too many crises of faith related to justice. Um, it, it, it's, a real, it's a real thing. Uh, unfortunately, then, what, what many, particularly younger white Christians do is they, they end up trading you know, white Christianity for white agnosticism or white atheism, right? It's, they're, they're not moving away from whiteness, though. They're just kind of leaving behind a, a white version of their, of their faith. Um, what has been so helpful for me to be, you know, reading, uh, you know, uh, authors and, and, and Christian leaders of color to study history, to be in relationships, particularly with black pastors, because what, it, what that's done for me is, is to remind me that, yeah, like you said, all the resources are there within scripture, within the gospel. Uh, all, all the stuff that we're talking about today, uh, for me at least, comes directly from the scriptures. It's just that, you know, for many of us, we've, we've not seen those connections. We willfully ignored a, a lot of that. Um, and so, yeah, for the whole, I mean, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit for me, I, I really do believe this, that, that there is no, uh, there is no, uh, move toward racial justice and reconciliation outside the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I think this for a couple of reasons. One, it's the Spirit who, who brings the, the unity of the church, right? It's the unity, it's the Spirit who transcends those barriers of language and, and gives gifts so that we can live into the oneness that Jesus has accomplished for us, right? G- Jesus says, um, you, you know, you're going to be in, 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 in the Father as I've been in the Father. You're going to uh, bear witness to, to the love of the Father through, through your unity. The Holy Spirit then makes this possible. Um, and it's, a, it's something that the, the, the apostles are, are committed to, and it's worth, it's worth their, 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 their even fighting about. Um, so that, that's, that's the starting point. But then secondly, um, I, we have to realize as Christians that everything we talked about today is a spiritual battle, right? There's an enemy who is very... Um, content with the levels of, of segregation and, and racial injustice in, in the white church. That, that, that is, is a victory for, for our enemy. We have not seen, most of us, that this is a spiritual fight. We have not seen that we are on contested territory. Too many white Christians have, have been formed to think of America as this sort of promised land, that it's, it's neutral at, at worst, Right. Um, that's not, that's not the case. We're in contested territory. We follow Jesus into the front lines of proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. And we can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we, we only uh, make a difference through the fruit that the Holy Spirit bears in our life, fruit, um, you know, of, of repentance, fruit that is good for the nourishment of, of many. And so we cannot do this under our own efforts. 
we, we, we're just not, I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough to, to make a difference here. This is, this, this is an ancient foe. Um, the, the, the lie goes very, very deep. And so, you know, woe to us if we were to try to, to do this under our own strength. But, but man, once we understand the power of the Holy Spirit, once we know what we see what the Spirit has already done, once we become more and more dependent on the Holy Spirit in our lives, God, then, we, then, we, then we don't become overwhelmed in a moment like this, right? Because this, this is an overwhelming moment. I mean, this is, this is a depressing moment in many ways. And, and yet, filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing that this is the heart of God, um, that, that's what keeps us pressing forward, I believe. That's good. Well, thank you so much, David. That was insightful. That was helpful. Um, Very insightful. Yeah, that was um, a really great conversation. The book is called Rediscipling the White Church from Cheap Diversity to True Solidarity. And you can find it anywhere. You could buy a book. David Swanson, thank you so much for joining us on City Image. This was a really great conversation, you guys. I really, seriously, it was, I uh, appreciate the questions a lot and the commitment to this. So thanks, thanks again for having me on. Thank you. No, thank you. And we appreciate your commitment because, you know, as a white person, um, it shouldn't be this way, but white people need other white people to tell them that, hey, this is an issue. You should be paying attention to this. So, right. Right. you know, appreciate your voice, appreciate you stepping out. I'm sure th- stones have been thrown your way, <laughs> but, you know, yeah, continue to do the work, bro. Appreciate Thank it. I appreciate it. Thank you. City image.